Welcome to the podcast, The Objects That Made Us. I'm Amy Sim. In every episode of this podcast, I will be inviting a guest to share with us a personal object and the story behind it. These stories will offer glimpses of Singapore's past, weaving together a tapestry of our collective memories. Hi everyone, welcome to The Objects That Made Us. Today we have Su Zhang Kai as our guest and I'm at his home and he's going to share with me his wonderful collection. Welcome Zhang Kai. Hello everyone, I'm Su Zhang Kai. I used to be a school teacher. After leaving my job, I set up my own language centre. Currently, I'm a freelance researcher focusing on Singaporean culture, more specifically, the history of the local entertainment scene. Yeah, Zhang Kai himself is a treasure trove of knowledge on the early local entertainment industry. He also has a rich collection of material at home. Just now he showed us some magazines, newspaper cuttings and all kinds of posters from his collection. So today we are very fortunate to have him to share with us his wonderful collection of tabloids. The so-called tabloids were what was seen as non-mainstream newspapers. Like the well-known Nanyang Shangpao or Xinchu Daily, these are mainstream papers and they focus on national issues, international news, editorials and opinion, and they carried some ads and other types of news, and of course, there's also entertainment-related news, but it's only a very small section. For tabloids, entertainment is the main focus, with more gossip and scandals and the like. They were more into entertainment, especially in the 1950s, when Singapore's Thai culture was in its golden era. In the 1950s, because of the Korean War, rubber prices were rising in the Southeast Asian region around Malaysia. So people had a bit more money in their pockets. With the extra money, they were more willing to spend on leisure and entertainment. So that's why the whole Gertai scene was very lively. There was more competition between operators and they needed to do more promotion. So it gave rise to the tabloid, which were the best channel for publicity and for the Gertai and other forms of entertainment. So the birth of the tabloid is tightly linked to the development of the entertainment industry and Gertai. And many of the tabloids were actually backed by Gertai owners. Their aim was promotion and the two were codependent. Gertai relied on tabloids for publicity and the tabloids relied on Gertai for news to attract readers. So in the 50s, suddenly lots of very similar tabloids pop up. Actually, post-World War II, the first entertainment-related publication was a newspaper called Entertainment, whose chief editor was Chua Bun Hien. Afterwards, lots of similar publications appeared, including Nightlight and Iron News, Champagne News, Star News and others. These tabloids reported on news that wouldn't make it to the mainstream newspapers. Some, of course, were gossip and scandals. Others were on the supernatural and superstitions. But most of the space was devoted to entertainment. There were so many tabloids, so many Gertai and other entertainment competition must be really tough. And to stand out, everybody started to come up with some way to create hype, even veering towards a so-called soft porn style. 
Can you share with us the prevailing cultural trends of the time and the cultural evolution as reflected in the tabloids? From the publications, you can clearly see that the origins of Gertai was the performance troops that came to Singapore from China in the 1930s. The troupe had a fixed performance style. They sang songs that were popular in Shanghai in that era. And then the dance performances were made up of all kinds of folk dance. Sometimes they staged well-known plays such as Tao Yu's Sunrise, Thunderstorm and others all quite serious content. Then came the 50s. Because everyone was trying to get into the Gertai scene, lots of different Gertais pop up. The performances usually took place in the evening. Back then, if you went to Gertai A, you would miss out on Gertai B. So there was a lot of competition, even within the same amusement park. For example, at New World, there was a stage in the front, a stage in the back, and another inside. So at New World alone, you had to decide which performance you wanted to see. And to stand out, everyone tried something new. In addition to getting the most popular singers, they also tweaked the programming to attract more people. So everyone's thinking of new ways to win over the audience. Some people might like crosstalk, some might like comedy skits. So that's how all of it started. And then there was an event recorded in some of the oral history records of Gertai veteran and in accounts by early entertainment reporters. There was a Gertai star named Lan Di who went on to become a film star. She was the younger sister of Zhang Lai Lai. In one performance, Lan Di was changing backstage behind a thin veil. But the spotlight was shining on where she was changing and it showed up her unclothed silhouette. There was a sudden shout of wah among the audience who thought this was part of the performance. It wasn't. It was a mistake. But it sent shockwave through the country. Following that, some Gertai operators thought that was what audiences like or that they were looking for similar entertainment. So they started to put on more daring and risque acts. They even copied the mishap, staging exposures of singers obscured only by a thin piece of cloth under similar circumstances, performing sexy dance moves, which of course drew a lot of audience. Some got more and more daring, and it gradually became a striptease performance, and that's when it ventured into soft pawn territory. Some of the performance troupe and Gertai operators were against this development. They felt this was a stain on the stage, because Gertai was very serious before this, and the audiences were cultured and educated people, including writers, school principals, teachers, and others. And it had now all of a sudden turned into smut. So the Gertai world also split into two factions, those who wanted to put on more wholesome entertainment and those who tended towards striptease and other titillating acts. In the end, the racy content won out and the more wholesome Gertai saw the popularity plunge. And from then, any mention of Gertai would bring to mind risque performances such as striptease and other even more daring and salacious performances. Some of our listeners might have seen these acts before, such as Rose Chan rapping in the python around herself and other CD performances. 
Some of the acts borrowed from the circus and added some risque elements to satisfy the audience's appetite for the new. They had a lot of success, drawing large audiences. Yeah, so the whole film was no match at all for the salacious. <laughs> yeah, once the wave of raciness caught on, the tabloids became a direct force for advancing the wave because they were following the trend and reporting on the striptease and other risque cabaret performances. The tabloids tended to be more daring, publishing images of strippers and other suggestive pictures, so they were becoming like soft porn magazines too, focusing on scandals and salacious gossip and the like, and reprinting racy pictures or comics and other content from European and American publications. So there was a wave of soft porn sweeping the entire period from the start to the end of the 50s. Society at the time was also dealing with problems brought about by this wave of pornography. Sex crimes such as molest and rape were on the rise, causing anxiety, and society as a whole needed to settle down. When the Lim Yu Hock government came into power, they started to fight pornography, banning such publications and performances, leading to their decline. <laughs> Yes, there was a horrible rape and murder case at Pearl's Hill around that period. It might have given a boost to the campaign against pornography. And after the case happened, people felt more strongly against pornographic publications, and the tabloids started to go into decline. It's true, the Pearl's Hill murder drew a lot of attention, and people started to feel the societal trends of the time were harming the collective psyche. Many academics and other intellectuals were also expressing their disapproval, casting the tabloids and sleazy Gertai performances in a bad light. A lot of people started to feel they couldn't sit by and do nothing, or who knows what society will become. So there was an anti-pornography movement with the tabloid as the first target. Censorship used to be a lot less strict in the past, but the government decided to clamp down because of all these, and a lot of tabloids were banned. The racier Gertai acts were also completely prohibited. So by the end of the 1950s, smart went underground. And this means their reach was limited and they were no longer as rampant as before. Oh yeah, before this crackdown on pornographic publications, when pornographic wave was at its peak, I recall that even bigger newspapers like Nanyang Shangbao were publishing some tawdry ads or running racy photos under artistic pretexts. If you look at the ads in Nanyang Shangbao in the 1950s, you will see the cabaret and striptease troops were making lots of money. That's why they could afford all the ads. They included the Rose Song and Dance Troupe and the White Snow Song and Dance Troupe. They placed ads promoting the performances that featured images with bare-breasted women. Yeah, and I can see in some of the ads, the private parts were hidden by stars. 
所以就已经到那种阶段了。Some were covered up, some not. So that was what it was like back then. At the bigger newspapers, it was a purely commercial decision. When the advertisers come, they will publish. Whatever is asked, and it's not against the law, but they wouldn't give a lot of news coverage. It's just in the form of ads. The tabloids, on the other hand, published the ads and also wrote about these performances extensively, often with humorous and sensational headlines too. But some mainstream publications, like Nanyang Radio Weekly, also under the Nanyang Shangbao, which mainly focused on radio and TV, would also include a nude photo each week in the 1950s. They call it body art, but this is just an attempt at repackaging. So you can see, even the proper publication had to resort to publishing content like that to sell. Otherwise, they lost readership and sales. This was the norm in the 50s. Everyone seemed to accept it. A lot of people think the 1950s were very conservative. We were thinking the same when we started our research. We can't believe they had all these during our grandparents' time. But when you look at the available material, a lot of people would be surprised that stuff like that existed. And were even more daring than what we have now. So I actually hope to provide a true picture of society back then with this material to let people know what the entertainment scene was truly like. Yeah, our grandparents were actually living in very exciting times. Yeah, if you look at the promotional language that was used,、um, salaciousness aside, they were very creative. There were all kinds of cheeky turns of phrase and headlines and captions, such as "fleshy bombshells" and the like. So, actually, you can see that time. You have to hand it to the editors and reporters of the time. The words used were never explicit or obscene. Sometimes even quite poetic. But if you understood the implicit meaning, you would know the content was actually quite lewd. Apparently, the literati of the era, of course, they also needed to eat. Who were working as reporters or editors in the mainstream media were writing smuts for tabloids under pseudonyms to supplement their income. We also found out several singers were writing the tabloid articles themselves, but then we discovered from later interviews that the articles were actually ghostwritten by the editors. So, Jacka, where did you get all these tabloids and magazines? 最早就是在结双桥，就是孙来路那边的旧货市场。In the beginning, it was at Sungai Road. My father and uncle both took me to the flea market there in my childhood, so I knew the place. When I started collecting, that's where I went. In the nineties, Sungai Market was still popular, and there was a lot of stuff to buy, like old records and magazines. So it wasn't expensive. I started out in 1995, so I was actually a latecomer. The older collectors started in the 80s, and they had the most stuff. Because many people were moving from the kampongs to the HDB flats, which meant they had less space for storing old newspapers, magazines, and records, and they had to get rid of all these stuff. So they came to sell them at the flea market. By the time I started, there was much less available, but you could still find some stuff. Then I found out there were also antique dealers and specialized collectors and vendors and secondhand shops at Clark Key and Chinatown. So I started buying from them too, 
And once the dealer knew what you were after, they would keep a lookout for you and let you know when they came across what you wanted. Gradually, my collection grew. By the time we got to the 21st century, I had also gone with my uncle to the markets in Bangkok's Chinatown. There are many Chinese there who grew up with Hong Kong movies, and so I got a lot of movie magazines from Bangkok. In the past, many local entertainers like Wang Sha and Ye Feng, Wu Gang, Huang Qingyuan were also popular in Thailand. So there were a lot of their records and news articles. I also tracked down some stuff in Malaysia with the help of Malaysian friends. Once we entered the stage of the internet, I also used internet platforms to track down some very important materials from Singapore's overseas. Also, a lot of my friends and elders came to know about my collection, and they were happy to give me the collection. They said better to give me than to leave the stuff sitting at home. And many friends know of my collection, so when they have elders at home who have stuff to throw out, they would ask if I'm interested. Ah, many friends just know that I sell these things. They find that someone who has some stuff at home, or someone who has some things that they don't want, they also will say, "Hey, they don't want, you don't want, I go to buy them and collect them." This situation is growing more and more. Mm, your home is really like a local entertainment archival center. Top of collecting, I came to feel like I should preserve these historical items because I felt that if they were not salvaged, they would be thrown out as trash or become recycled paper. Or maybe if someone only collected a particular type of material, the newspaper or magazines would be taken apart. For research purposes, the archive should be complete in order to provide a fuller picture. Most of the time, I just want to save the material. When we found a lot of the local publications and material abroad, we realized a lot of it has already left our shores. In the early 1990s, many overseas collectors came to Singapore and took a lot of the items to Hong Kong or even Europe. So I hope we can retain all of it in Singapore because they are a part of our history. They are a part of our cultural record. So that's what we're doing now: salvaging, doing our best to purchase whatever we find, and then preserve them through all kinds of ways, including digitization or scanning to make electronics copies to allow academic institutions to make them available on the internet and give more access to more researchers. Basically, this material has helped a lot of researchers. Do research. Yeah, Zhangka is collecting local folk entertainment publications with the mission of preservation and as a way to record a very important historical era. Thank you, Zhangka, for sharing so much with us today and for showing us a rarely seen side of life in 1950s Singapore through the tabloids and the entertainment trends of the time. Thank you. Thank you. The Objects That Made Us is produced and hosted by Amy Sim and Yap Xiao Chong. Music and sound design by Mandrik Tan. Translated by Lim Wanwen and Lim Hui Sin. Voice over by Lim Fong Wei. This podcast is made possible with the support of the National Heritage Board. Thank you for listening.